0: We have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets podcast. It's H Town Hoops, hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. Finally, finally, the wait, the nightmare is over. The Houston Rockets, and we are recording this 24 days into 2023. Uh, The game, obviously, 23 days into 2023, but the Rockets go almost a month without winning a game but their losing streak is finally ended at 13 games as they beat the minnesota timberwolves 119 to 114 earlier this week and they so and they didn't even need overtime to do it there were a a number of moments adam and we watched this game sitting at toyota center together where it seemed like the rockets were going to give this game away where it seemed like they were intent on blowing all the good things that they had done throughout the game, but they held on, did a thing that we don't get to see them do often, quite honestly, which is finish a game, not perfect, not pretty, but a win nonetheless. And again, like we said, they've been hard to come by, especially recently. Monday's win against the T-Wolves, Adam, the Rockets' best moment, is it since December 26th? Like, wh- wh- how long has it been since since they could feel this good. Um uh, uh the 95 championship I <laughs> uh, how about that how about that meme Adam after the game I, I can't remember who did it but someone did the did the Pat Beverly Minnesota Timberwolves celebration when they who did they beat last year when they did that the Lakers or yeah, that was in the play- Clippers. Game. That, was that was the, was in the play game. that was a play-in game that's right yeah somebody did the Pat Bev play-in game celebration for the Rockets win last or for the Rockets win Monday night
1: I mean, it's big. They they needed it just because it had been four weeks. I mean, you think about it. Four weeks had passed since they had won a game. They had lost, whatever, 13 in a row going into it. And they just needed to do something to change the narrative around the team. Because inevitably, when you go on a long losing streak like that, everything just becomes palace intrigue, and you become a, basically a running joke around the entire league. And uh, last week was very, very difficult for them as an organization where you look at – just all the noise from pe- what people were saying about them from the outside, whether it was Austin River saying that they needed to get people in here who can teach Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green how to play. Then you have David Thorpe going on a podcast saying that an agent told him the Rockets are a clown show. And then you have the John Wall thing is what really, cre- uh, really kicked things into motion for just how bad this was. And then they play a bunch of uncompetitive games after that. So they needed to do something to at least – get the focus off of that. Now the focus still co- goes back onto what's happening here. Uh, if they you know, the next time they lose a game or the next time they have a really poor showing or the next time they go on a losing streak, but at least they have this, at least they had a moment where everyone's in a good mood. Everybody's happy. And you, you can't just, you need to win games every now and then you, you don't want to keep getting your, ba- your brains ba- bashed in every single night, night, night after night, after night, because that's when just things become so toxic around your organization to where no one's getting better. No one's improving. Nobody wants to go into work every single day. So at least you have a, a good day. Everybody goes home happy. You have a good practice today and then you get back at it tomorrow.
0: Yeah. And of course, the John Wall thing that you were talking about is when he's on the podcast, the the run your the run your race podcast with Theo Pinson, I believe it is, where he's talking about the Rockets uh, references. Now, he says that his experience was trash and that it was a bad organization. And so those things, and of course, John Wall, the famous of all of the ones, the most famous of all the ones who have criticized the Rockets over the last, let's call it, couple of weeks or so. And so, of course, that made the headlines. But the thing that stood out to me was post-game, there was a, and maybe it's just because, for me, it it could be because they hadn't won a game in so long, but I'm reading the quotes post-game and seeing some of the videos, and it just... It, it was a better vibe. I mean, I, you know, I guess that's what winning will do, but you know, Alper, Alper Shingun is dropping the F-bombs in the post game, uh, talking about his turnovers at the end of the game. And it was just, I, th- I think that's probably just a funny moment because, uh, you know, English is not his native language and he's still learning it. And, you know, it, it it's clear that he's learned a couple, he, he's picked up on a couple of things uh, at the very least on the basketball floor. Uh, but, but how would you characterize uh, a couple of things here. Uh, Alpern Shingoon has been, I, I think, has been fantastic. Uh, has been on a fantastic stretch lately. But Jalen Green's game last night. I feel like we should get straight to it. Jalen Green had a career high forty-two points, shot well from the field, and has sandwiched in between a a clunker, uh, which was the first game against Minnesota, the one that was at Minnesota, has sandwiched in between two really good games. Uh, the 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 Hornets game, which I think was another 40 pointer if I'm not mistaken. And and then this one, of course, what stood out to you the most? I mean, I'll just say for me, it has been when it was good. It's been the shot selection and the aggression and the effort. All those things are there. And of course, we just know him to be a talented offensive player. But what what stood out to you about Jalen Green's career game?
1: I mean it just reminds you that it's there. And I think that people forget because the season has not been great. It just hasn't been really at, at on any end of the floor. Um the efficiency hasn't been there. Like it, it feels like that he has gotten worse this season. Now the team would tell you otherwise. The team would tell you that, you know, he's the first guy on the scouting report and that life is going to be a lot tougher when you're the first guy on the scouting report. Um, but it, it again, it, I, I didn't think the Charlotte game was that great. I mean, they lost the game and somebody had to score all the points, but yesterday was he played winning basketball yesterday. He played winning basketball at both ends of the floor. And again, it shows you that it's there and it shows you that he is capable of doing that. And, you know, it, he, he went into that game with a chip on his shoulder. He said it, you know, and I had forgotten this. Um, Minnesota held him to, to 10 points on Saturday. He scored nine against them uh, a couple weeks before uh, when when they played Minnesota at Toyota Center uh, for the first time. And so he had that chip on his shoulder. Then he – I thought it was a dirty play with uh, Kyle Anderson uh, in the first quarter where he kind of got shoved in the back when he was in the air, and they they reviewed it, and they just kept it at a common foul. But he said that that you know, was another thing, just kind of added to the chip that was already on his shoulder – So it's been a weird year for him. There are times where he just hasn't looked engaged, hasn't looked locked in at all. And then you have like games like yesterday where he is engaged really from the very start of the game. He plays a quality 48 minutes, and that's what you need to see more of. And I think that's part of just getting older. I think that's just part of development. And it really shouldn't be a surprise that he has not had the year that I think many people thought that he would. And I think that part of that is just that the expectations were probably a little too lofty. And again, a lot of that had to do with what he did at the end of last season, where it just looked like he was going to be able to average 30 and it was going to be easy and there's going to be nothing to it. And it turns out, no, this league is really, really hard. And it's not going to be as easy as it looks in the last two weeks of the season when half the teams you're playing don't care. And that's just kind of what it was last year. And you've seen it be a lot harder for him, but he is the guy that will, when, when a team is game planning for you, he's, a, he's, Number one, he's he's the guy that's at the top of the sheet, and so they're going to focus most of the attention on him. They are going to game plan around him, and you're just seeing him get a little bit better at that. So I, I it just reminds you that it's there and that he can be a really good player, but it's not one of those things that just happens overnight. It, it There's levels to it, and you just want to see him continue to grow on those levels.
0: Yeah, I think we had an earlier episode a couple of weeks ago where I wanted to clarify and say that I didn't think that he was worse But that, based off of how the development had gone, or how he was looking in the moment, that it was reasonable, and at least this is where I came from with it. It was reasonable to to feel worse about him because the things weren't maybe, and like you said, maybe the expectations were too lofty. I think on that point about the expectations, Adam. I think honestly, what it is is just kind of this thirst for, you know, it's not just the expectation, but it's a thirst for something better. And this feeling and belief that he is the sort of the runway to that. And and I guess that's the way that I've viewed him for a while now as, hey, the centerpiece on a team that will be good again at some point just isn't isn't yet because it's so young and has so much to learn. But that's kind of the way that the way that I've kind of looked at Jalen Green's year is that. There are things that you can look at that he's better at. I mean, he developed some physically, and that was going to happen naturally just because of the age that he was. And you know, when when he is on, you can see the improvement. You know, it's just the 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 major issue is not the actual game itself. It's it's the consistency, and it it's been the effort. And I think those are the things that have that have stood out more so than just his game in particular. Uh, I know we've talked a lot about the shooting not being there, but the shoot, the jump shot looked pretty damn good on Monday night. You know, um, there was that, there was that three, that step back three to end the third quarter that I thought was uh, was was really big. Just in terms of, I don't know if momentum is the right word going into the end of a quarter like that or starting a new one, but just the, I don't know the feeling in the arena at the moment. You know, when he hit that shot, that was about as loud as I'd heard it until the game was over, uh, until the very end. And I don't know, I, I think that in, in terms of his game developing, Rockets fans should feel just fine about Jalen Green. And like you said, I just re- would reiterate, Monday night was a glimpse of it being there. That is what Jalen Green's potential is. Not necessarily scoring 42 every night, but in, but he can be an efficient basketball player. He can be somebody that affects winning. It's just something that, that I, I feel like, He's got to do much more often. The inconsistency, and, and he's developing. He talked about it. I mean, the quote that he had there after the game was, you know, that he wants to be one of the better players in the NBA. He realizes it's just his second year, but he wants to be coached hard. I was glad to hear some of this stuff, Adam, about wanting to be coached. And, you know, it wouldn't be the first time any of them have said the right things. But in a moment like this, when he plays a game like that, and they win the game, and he's been having the struggles, or the team overall has been having the struggles that they've been having, and this is the season that he's had. It's just really good to hear something like that. You know, like, I want to be coached. I still want to be great. And, and there seems like to be a, a genuine belief that it's there.
1: Yeah, and He's 20, and I do think that's one of the things that people need to remember. He's 20 years old, and he's playing in the best basketball league in the entire world, and he's going up against guys who are – 25 26 27 28 you know these guys are much much older much more mature much more just physically developed they have so much more experience like I don't care how talented you are if you're 20 and you're going up against a guy who's like 26 27 28 the older guy oftentimes is going to get the better of the matchup because it doesn't matter how talented you are the older guy just knows how to play he just knows what to do a lot more than you do and so that's why it's not going to look great. And that's why the more that it's going to, it's probably not going to, he's probably not going to hit, he's not going to hit his peak for a while. And you just have to remember that. And you have to understand that the growing pains are going to be there. Now, the big thing is the effort. And we have talked about this and the effort hasn't always been there. And you saw this on Saturday where he's not playing well on the offensive end of the floor. And he's taking that over to the defensive end of the floor and just lazy closeouts. And he's getting Alperin and Shengun dunked on multiple times. That's the sort of stuff that can't happen. That's the sort of stuff that they have to avoid, and that's on him. Like He has to be able to understand that, hey, when the offensive game isn't going, you still have to bring it at the other end because you can still impact the game in a positive way that way. And I thought this was something that he was really good at last year. He had a game in Golden State, and I think he was 0 for 11, 0 for 12. He was like 0 for – and it was a big number. But Steven Silas had him in at the end of the game, and he made two really big plays down the stretch in crunch time where he got a couple of offensive rebounds. And that if they didn't win that game, they lost on a Stephen Curry walk-off. But it kept them in there, and it gave them an opportunity, and that's the sort of stuff that you need to do when the offense isn't there. Because he's going to be facing another team's best defender on most nights. And so when that happens, you have to be able to The offense know, you know, you're not going to score 40 and it's not going to be easy on most nights. So when that happens, you have to be able to to help your team in other ways. And so that's one of the things that I want to see. I want to see when he has the three for 13. Can he lock down at the other end? Can he play really smart, really good, just engaged basketball at the other end of the floor? Because for me, that's the next step. It's not the numbers that are the next step for me. It's what does he do defensively, and can he carry? Can, can he play good defense on a night where his offense isn't there?
0: Yeah, I, 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 that's ex- that's exactly it. What you just said there at the end is it's not. So the concern in part hasn't just been the numbers and the ineff like the inefficiency of it. Has been the issue with the numbers, like you know, when we'll have a thirty-point, thirty-shot game or something like that. Like that—that's been the issue. But the effort, the parts that you don't necessarily see in the box score that you, for sure, see when you watch the game. Like that's the difference. And then, what, like what you're talking about, can't can he at the end of the game or dur- like throughout the course of a game when the shots not falling, when he's three for thirteen or whatever it may be, when they're turning the ball over. Can he lock down? I mean, the answer is absolutely yes. Because he's, I mean, he's going to be one of the more physically talented guys that's out there. You know, especially when he's as young as he is. That's the other side of being young. It's like he's got a lot to develop, but like physically, man, like he's there. He could, he could, he should be able to stay in front of just about anybody when he does give the effort. And that that would actually be my one criticism of this forty-two point game, this career high game. That I, I did feel like there were moments not. Not when necessarily the effort, I wouldn't call it effort per se, but you know he he didn't really get down in a defensive stance and would let a guy you know blow by him or or something like that. Like you still see glimpses of that, and so I don't know. For for me, I think that's the that's the biggest thing, the thing that you don't necessarily see or that doesn't necessarily show up in the box score um, about the about his game. Uh, but speaking of effort and you know just. <laughs> just playing hard all the time. I think, I feel like, you tell me if you agree, aside from aside from Jayshon Tate, who I think is the ultimate effort guy on this team and has been the last three seasons, I don't feel like anybody, and Jayshon Tate is still, I think, working his way in the game shape, you know, after missing so much time with the injury. But I don't think anybody, I've watched anybody on this team give as much effort as I've watched Tari Eason throughout the season and he's had a he's had an opportunity these last couple of games to start and i found it interesting to have him in the starting lineup not because he didn't deserve it but just because the opportunity hasn't necessarily been there obviously and you, you pointed out after the game how 90 seconds into the game tari Eason is on the receiving end of this errant pass from Alcorn shingoon And it looks like Anthony Edwards is going to go the other way um, uh, with the loose ball. But it's it's Tari Eason that's in there making the hustle play, um, grabbing the basketball while still in and dunking the ball. And he just had a really interesting game to me. Um, The final stat line was 11 points, nine rebounds, three assists, a couple of blocks. I want to say he had a few steals as well, like just a really good, well-rounded game. I'm pointing all of this out. We did an episode uh, a week or two ago where we we're doing the, the, the mid season awards. Uh, right. And, but like the halfway point awards. And I gave Tari Easton best defender. And it's not because he's like their best individual defender. It's not like he's got the necessarily got the best defensive numbers, but the guy just plays all out. And I've got a certain uh, amount of admiration and respect for that. Obviously he's a rookie, um, and he, and it, it would make sense to try to make as positive of an impression as you can. But what did you make of, what have you made of Tari Eason's first two starts of his career?
1: Well, that play that you talked about, it, it really set a tone because, you know, you're Minnesota and you just beat these these guys by however many points they won that game on Saturday and they've lost 13 in a row. And that's one of those, I think that you would probably expect, well, they'll just give up on the play you know, it's that type of season. It's that type of team. They'll just give up on this. And Anthony Edwards and, and Tari Eason battled for the basketball for a good two, three, four seconds. And Eason wouldn't let it go. And Eason kept on fighting for the basketball. He got the basketball, and that's what started them really on their 9-0 run to start the game. And to me, and Jalen Green said this too after the game, his energy really set the tone for what they did. And it's important because, again, you're in the dog days of an NBA season. You're having a really bad year. You're losing game after game after game. It's really easy to just let the dog days take over and the effort not to be there. And Tari Eason doesn't let them do that. And I, th- I do think that you need guys like that who can provide just constant energy. And he talks a lot too. You know, he's big, you know, he's a big talker for them. And it's Pretty rare too, from a rookie, but you know, he's, he's actually one of their older guys to be honest with you, because he, he went to college for two years as opposed to, to most of these other guys who, were co- who came out as college freshmen. So he's one of the older guys on the team, despite being a rookie, um, but it's been a nice, it's been good for them to get him in there. Um, He he's got a chance to be really good. Um, He, he does a lot of things. Well, and you don't necessarily need to run a bunch of plays for him, but he's just around the basketball, and he makes stuff happen that way. And it's one of those things where he's he's really good at the hard stuff. He just needs to get better at the easy stuff. I mean, yeah. he had he had one where uh, he he gets a steal, and he goes, you know, he takes it down the court himself, and he blows the layup. I mean, that's an easy two points right there. But, again, it's he, he does the hard stuff. You know, he, it's the, the million-dollar move with the 10-cent finish. I mean, he's good at doing that part of it. He just needs to be able to get the easy stuff down. Once he gets the easy stuff down, he's going to be a hell of a player.
0: Yeah, it's it's the bunnies at the rim, and that that's been a theme for him of not being that great uh, of a finisher. And he'll get better with that. There's also a play in the fourth quarter, I believe it is, where and this is what I was getting at earlier when we opened the show about there being a couple of times where, I mean, this let's just be honest, man, this was a sloppy game at times, and you noted this after the game too about all of the turnovers and and they've been bad with that against minnesota in general like in the three games that they have played against them but there's a there's a moment where basically Tari eason gets hung up in the air and passes the ball to to no one like uh, i don't know if he wasn't expecting the guy to cut or either way there was nobody there he was expecting somebody to be there there was nobody there and that was one of the turnovers like before excuse me before it, it seemed like they for sure had this game locked up that was one of the turtles where you're like oh man this is an example of them not knowing how to finish um but fortunately they did so a couple of things about Eason that have just flat out got to get better he's got to be a better finisher he's not particularly great at that and he might be he might be the worst passer on the team like for all the effort and, and, and all the things that i admire about him Man, his passing has got to get better. I don't know exactly what it is, if it's just needing to play more, need to be, you know, just a matter of experience. But not a great finisher and not a great passer yet. But the effort, the effort makes up for everything and anything that he's lacking. Because that, like you said, it's not like they're drawing up plays for him. It's not like they're relying on him to have the ball in his hands at the end of the game or to carry him for any period of time. So all he's got to do is go out there – and give maximum effort and 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 that's a plus for them and honestly you you insert a guy like that into your start lineup and when you're having issues with honestly with effort with energy okay and i mentioned jay Sean tate is really and you could you could probably put kj martin as as another guy uh in in sort of that in sort of that realm but insert a guy like that into the into the start lineup to me it's not a coincidence that you that you as a team would play with with better effort and uh, and with more energy because because yeah. that's just the type of guy he is.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, and it's it's hard. Do you want that off the bench or do you want, you know, sometimes you want that energy off the bench. Uh, for them, though, I think that it does help, at least right now, to have that in the starting lineup.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, so speaking of starting lineups, uh, Kevin Porter Jr., how many games is this now? Um, Four, five, six? I kind of lost track. It same, was- same. So have I. So have I. But, I mean the 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 point being though, it it, it seems like you know I
1: Kevin Porter six, he's missing. six
0: games six games Kevin Porter Jr. has, you know pr- prior to missing these six games has been their best player this year. Um, I think we agreed on that yeah. um, a couple of weeks ago. I I don't know if there's much of an argument for for anybody else. Uh, not that he is their best player, but has been their best player this year. But without him there there is something about the way and we talked we talked about this in the last episode about the ball movement and i feel like that's continued um <laughs> they opened the they opened this game like obviously they won and they started on a 9-0 run but you and i were sitting right there when they opened up this game with uh with whatever play that they ran it resulted in like a lo- very low percentage three from the wing and just didn't seem to be uh, – did not seem to be a great opening play to start the game, or at least not great execution. But throughout the game, though, as it, as it went on, they did a really good job of moving the ball around. And we've talked about this almost ad nauseum of how things change and how different it is when I, when the ball is moving in a positive way and then how things go straight to hell when things get stagnant, when the ball gets stagnant and doesn't move. It seems like it's moving around better. I don't have a number specifically that 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 illustrates this, but just from watching the games, it seems like the ball is moving along a lot better without KPJ. It's an it's an odd and awkward thing to acknowledge because I feel like he's been so good for them at at various times. Not not always, but at various times, he's been so good for them. But I am seeing a positive in how the ball moves around and how at least how the offense is executed. With him not out there. I'm not sure what to make of it. What do you how much should be read into the ball movement without him? So for the season, they are
1: 16th in passes made. They make 283.2 passes per game. So that's 16th. Now, over the last six games, that number is up to 294.2, which has them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It has them tenth. So there is a little bit of a difference just in terms of total passes made. That's not the best stat in the world. I mean, you can just throw the ball around and have it not do a whole lot, but they are, they are moving the ball more without Porter. But a lot of that is just out of necessity because they don't really have as many guys who can go get you a bucket. And that's one of the things that Porter does give them is that he has the ability to work in isolation and get you a bucket that way. When when he's not on the floor, you don't really have that. So I, I, I know that this has been out there and like, oh, hey, they're doing this, this and this when he's not out there, but they've won one game out of the six that he's missed. And there are some things that they have done over that stretch that is really bad. And that is mainly the turnovers. Now, they're a bad turnover team anyways, but they've been really bad with Porter out. And I mean, you look for the last five games, they've committed 20 plus turnovers. So that short, sort of tells you that they do need him out there now. Again, we can get into role on in this whole thing, but I, I do think they are moving the ball more without Porter, but I think that's more out of necessity than anything else because you can't just, like, give the ball to Garrison Matthews and expect him to go make a play himself. No, I mean, Jalen Green can can get his own shot. Um, Alperen Shingun can get his own shot. That's not really what he's going to do. Eric Gordon can go get his own shot also. But they don't have a lot of other guys who can just go and get their own shot when Kevin Porter Jr. is not on the floor.
0: Hey, man, Garrison Matthew on the fast break, man. I wasn't expecting it, but he went straight to the cup. Um, should have been an – I don't think he got – I don't think there was a foul called on that toward the end of the game. There's a – I don't know if it was toward the end or not, but there's a there's a fast break with Garrison Matthew going straight to the cup, and it was a, a pleasant surprise. I will say this, though, about the KPJ – uh lack of ball movement or or better ball movement without him the and and that whole thing like (laughs) the thing that's or i should say the thing that's stood out to me without him being out there and, and you're correct on all the things that you mentioned but it has actually highlighted the fact that they don't have a the the conversation we've been having while he was out there who's the backup point guard you know, they don't have not only do they not have a lot of guys that can go out there and go get their shot, but they don't have like a secondary. They don't have really a reliable secondary ball handler. I feel like they've, they've tried to do the thing with Desha Nix and, and Tata Washington got the minutes uh, or a guy at least got some minutes Monday night. But and, and, and uh, the, you know, the Saturday game as well, for that matter. But. If there's anything that is highlighted to me, aside from just the how the ball has moved better, it's also that, you know, and this is the conundrum, it's that, man, KBJ might not be a natural, it, well, it not, not, might not be, is not a natural point guard, and there is a debate to be had about his role and whether he should be in that position long-term, but as currently constructed, man, like... There's not a single one of those guys, one of those backup point guards on the roster that they would insert into the starting lineup. That's why Tari Eason's in there. That's why K.J. Martin gets that look. That's why that's why it's not either one of those other guys. But and and look, it's not a team that's headed anywhere. Big deal. Right. They're going to lose a lot of games anyway. So, like, is this a a roster shortcoming, you know, a roster construction shortcoming that's worth like banging your head over? But it stands out, man. That not only do they have not have a lot of guys that can go get their own shot, but they don't have a ton of ball handlers out there. Jalen Green's bringing the ball up, you know. Eric Gordon's bringing the ball up, you know, setting them setting them up into their offense, initiating their offense. I I have wondered if it, if it's helped somewhat, uh, maybe skipping a step with Jalen Green being more of a primary ball handler, and I'm still trying to decide how I feel about that. But but that's the thing that stands out to me is that there's not another feel. However, you want to feel about KPJ, the point guard there ain't really another one that's worth playing a lot of minutes on this team.
1: Well, that's why you have Eason in the starting lineup is because you don't want to start Tate when he basically has to be the backup point guard right now. So it it is a hole on the roster. And I think they were they were hoping it would be Knicks and Knicks just hasn't been good enough. And Washington just really isn't ready. And he probably shouldn't be ready. I mean, he played one year at Kentucky. He's a little bit older as a rookie, but he still played one year at Kentucky. So expecting him to come in and be a, a you know an NBA level point guard, even off the bench, that's asking a lot. So um right now it has to be Tate and it is a hole on the roster. And it was what a you know, Dennis Schroeder helped them last year. Yes. because while Dennis Schroeder did not fit into you know, their, their long-term plans. He was at least a real point guard who could do knew how to run an offense and you could use, you could utilize him because it's, it's hard to get better when you are turning the ball over 20 times a game. And that's really what they're doing right now. You look at just the turnovers over the last five games. It's 23 last night. It's 23 Saturday. It was 20 uh, on Wednesday. Uh, They only turned it over eight times in LA on Monday, but they had 20 uh, the day before that. I mean, that's a lot of turnovers. That's not running an NBA level offense when you're turning the ball over 20 times a game. I mean, that's, that's a bad college team that turns the ball over 20 times. Trust me. I, I, I saw a lot of Indiana basketball games where we had no guards and we're turning the ball over 20 times a game, you know, a 20% turnover ratio. That's, that's not going to work. And it's not, you know, it's not, and it's really bad for them because their transition defense is just so bad that now you're giving teams opportunities in transition. That's why it's just, and they want to play fast too. That's the other thing. Like when you want to play fast and you don't have somebody who can actually play point guard, you're really putting yourself at a disadvantage. So I think they, they are hoping, that one of these guys emerges, whether it is Knicks, whether it's Washington, whether it's maybe Josh Christopher, you know, maybe that's something that he does. But it's just one of those, you know, weird things that they they. I think they've done a poor job. It's kind of like the Texans and the running back stuff. You know, the Texans went into the season basically with one running back. The Rockets came into this season with essentially one point guard.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny they went into the Texans went into this season with running back with one running back. They went into the previous season with I kid you not five and none of them were any good (laughs) like they like it was peculiar enough to have five on a roster. I don't know if you know just basketball fans listen to this but just so y'all know five running backs on a 53 man roster is not necessarily the way you know the the way rosters are made. They had five and didn't really have any. So to in in that regard and in that way they're even the the Rockets somehow are even even more efficient um real quick on a side tangent before i move on to the next day since we got to watch them play uh, the timberwolves over the last couple of games and rudy gobert did not play on saturday i don't believe but he did play on monday so we got to see him up close and we've seen plenty of rudy gobert over the years and you know just with the jazz and and particularly up close when they play the rockets but man i gotta go back to this this trade that Minnesota made and I don't know if we meant to go in this direction or not but I just thought about it Rudy Gobert and I feel like I remember you being a fan of that trade or at least being like okay with that trade when they made it I don't get what they're doing there like he raises their ceiling only but so much like a tad you know like I don't feel like and you know this is a Rockets podcast but watching the Timberwolves so close this kept standing out to me when Rudy Gobert would fumble a pass or, or show a lack of post moves or anything like that. What are, I mean, is it, I get it. You know, he's, he's, he's large. He's excellent defensively, obviously multiple time defensive player of the year, but like, what the hell are they doing over there with that? Like Anthony Edwards is clearly the the franchise player and the future of that team. I don't know when uh, Carl Anthony towns is going to be back, but the Rudy Gobert thing, like, that has that 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 is just not doing it for me like seeing when they did it at the time I was like okay like I get Rudy Gobert but I don't get why they would trade all of these assets for him and watching it in real time I just don't I don't feel like they've you know they're barely 500 team hovering around 500 and Rudy Gobert is just like big and there I, I don't get it I don't get what they're doing
1: well, I mean, it, it's been hard just because he's barely been on the floor with towns. And so that was the whole point was to have him in towns on the floor. I don't know if that's gonna work eventually. I, I always like thinking outside the box, and that's what that's what they did with that trade. But I mean he does raise their defense. I mean, they are a better defensive team when he's out on the floor. Um they have not rebounded well, or at least they did not rebound well uh in yesterday's game. So it, it's it's a it's a it's a clunky kind of fit, but I think ultimately you're gonna probably see them build around Edwards and Gobert and probably try and move off towns. So the problem that I had with that deal was that they they gave up so much. And yeah. there was really no reason to give up that much for Rudy Gobert. I mean, they might wind up giving up a lottery pick uh, if Minnesota – I mean, right now Minnesota's on the outside. I think they're, like, right on the edge of the play-in at this point. But, I mean, if they miss yeah. the playoffs and they're in the lottery, I mean, it's a huge win for Utah.
0: Yeah, yeah, they were something around 10th when I last looked so and and again hovering right around 500 so yeah big win for utah like that that was i guess that was the part two was like and, and i don't have any idea what the answer to this is but like who are they who are they bidding against you know like what what was the what was the urgency and the reason for giving that much up for rudy gobert who like you said and i and i concede i mean it's obvious he does raise their floor defensively and makes them a better defensive team but I don't know, man. With him out there, clunky was a good word. Was probably the right word to use for for what that for what that uh, for what that team looks like. Because I watching it, like I see some things there that seem positive. I just, but I just don't get it. I don't get them as a team. And, and, and you're probably right. They're, that's a fair point to make about wanting to see it with Cat. To get to me, it was an indictment a little bit on Carl Anthony Towns too. It's like, man, you're seven feet tall, and they felt like they needed to go tra- trade the farm. For another guy that's seven feet tall, just to raise their floor defensively, so um,
1: it's it's one of those things. When Danny Ainge calls, just hang up the phone. (laughs) Nothing good
0: comes out of it when you make trades with Danny Ainge. Yeah, yeah, no no doubt about it, man. Um, unless you're like unless you're like Danny Ainge trained, you know, or you know exactly, you know, you know exactly where Danny's coming from. But yeah, more than likely, you're about to get fleeced if he's on the other end of. Of the phone now, I, I saw Jabari Smith right before Monday's game, just kind of walking in the hallway. Uh, I guess before he got dressed to get on the sideline, maybe he was doing some type of workout. And I think you guys uh, might have seen him at at Tuesday's practice. I want to say that there was a there was an update from you about him playing a little bit of pickup at the end of practice, and he spoke with you guys about possibly being ready to play at some point this week. Um, sprained ankle is the right. Is that the right? Uh, we saw him go out the floor in Minnesota, I believe it was. And uh, was it Minnesota or the yeah, game before? charlotte game.
1: Charlotte, the game. Charlotte,
0: charlotte game. Yeah, Charlotte game. My bad. Yeah. Saw him go out the court in the Charlotte game with the ankle sprain, missed the last couple of games. Um, but when I saw him, no noticeable limp. He was walking just fine. And I imagine, you know, if he's playing some pickup at the end of a, at the end of a practice and that must be a good sign. So Jabari Smith out of the woods. What's the, what's the update there?
1: Uh, he said he's pain free and that they, they, they wanted to see how he came out of playing pickup before um, really saying anything more, but it, it, I think they, they have him listed as questionable. If the ankle feels good, he's going to play. So it looks like everything is fine. Uh, you know, he's been getting treatment around the clock and um they, they weren't going to risk anything by putting him out there if he was feeling any pain at this point. So he's he said he's pain-free. We'll see how he comes out of it, um, you know, with, uh, you know, playing yesterday. But really the biggest problem for me is Kevin Porter Jr., who, yeah. uh, you know, he was – saw him just walking out of practice today wearing flip-flops, and it looked like he had quite the limp when he, was, when he uh, had left. So it kind of seems like, you know, they said Saturday that they'll reevaluate in a week, but it doesn't look like he's close to playing at this point.
0: Yeah, well I guess you I was going to ask you about that. I guess that's that's what's to be said about that. I mean, Kevin Porter Jr., what did we say? 6 games he's missed now.
1: He's missed the last
0: 6. Okay, so yeah, so it'll be seven. So we don't. There's no timetable. Just to, the official word. There seems to be no timetable or no sense for when he might be ready to play again.
1: They they will. They said they said Saturday. They will re-evalu- reevaluate him in a week. So obviously that takes him out of the back to back. And then you know we'll see what happens uh, this week. And where are they? Um, they play this weekend in Detroit, so you know, I would assume that he'll miss that game too. And then they've got uh, they got a couple of days off after that. So maybe he's back for that Oklahoma City game on February first, but it doesn't seem likely at this point.
0: yeah. and, and again, we we hit on this earlier, at least for me, the conundrum with Kevin Porter Jr. missing out there is he's one of their better shot creators and has been their best player on a, at least on a consistent basis for much of the year. Uh, and their only thing resembling a point guard, or a an NBA point guard at this point, but there are issues there with that uh, of him, you know, just being in his second year playing point guard and it not, it clearly not being his natural position. Um, so you're missing some shot creation and you're missing some playmaking, quite frankly, um, with him out with, him, with him not out there, but it's also at times been an enjoyable watch. Uh, if, if, if you could call any stretch of Rockets basketball an enjoyable watch, I'm stretching the truth there when I say that. Uh, but but you know what I mean. the The ball seems to be moving, and as Adam pointed out, it's uh, in some ways out of necessity and desperation for not having a guy to give the ball to. So everybody, you know, it'd be best for everybody to touch the ball just so um, you know, just so they can make something happen. So that's 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 where we're at.
1: Just a reminder, though, they have been outscored by 10.6 points per 100 possessions over the last six games, and they have a turnover rate of 17.7. So, you know, the ball, I guess, has been moving a little bit more, but it has not resulted in points or wins. So just, uh, just a quick reminder about that for the people.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, and again, they turn the ball over like crazy and have been turned the ball over like crazy. Like the cautionary tale, and we'll end on this, Adam, the cautionary tale of the good vibes and the good feelings and the morale boost of winning that game, <laughs> the cautionary tale is, Hey, they still played some, some shoddy basketball at times, you know, turning the ball over. Uh, and yeah, there, there were times it, it, it was a while before I felt good about the possibility and likelihood of them winning that game. Cause they it kept feeling like they were going to let it slip. Um, and, and so, and so, yeah, that, that, that's where we're at, but they got the wizards tonight. Um, they've got, so it's just first, first game of back-to-back wizards tonight, uh, Cavaliers on Thursday night. So we will be in the building. Actually, I need to hit up, I need to hit up Rockets media to make sure that I get my, um, uh, damn it. I need, I need to let them know that I'm going to be there. At the very least, I'll be there Thursday if I don't get to beg it on Wednesday. So, um. So, yeah, we will be back. Uh, H-Town Hoops podcast. Brandon Scott, Adam Spillane do this thing every week, chronicling what has been a difficult rocket season. But, you know, a win is a win. Um, Good vibes, good morale, and uh, something for the – hopefully something for the team to build on. I mean, Jalen Green, 42-point game, career-high, efficient, Hopefully a glimpse for the Rockets, a glimpse into the future of what uh, what his game will look like more consistently going forward. Um, If not this year, next year, the year after that, whenever whenever it happens, uh, you know, these these are the these are the type of moments that you'll be able to point to and say, hey, this is a these are the growing pains and the development. But this is some of the glimpses of it. So uh, make sure y'all are subscribing, rating, reviewing, sharing, telling people about the podcast. And uh, until next time, y'all be good.